We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19 for a moment or two this morning. So, if you have a Bible, that'll be good. We're going to turn to that together. So, our theme this morning is a, a house of prayer and a people of worship, and a real sense of the presence of God as we worship Him with open hearts this morning. You know, worship. What is good worship? Good worship is an open-hearted worship. And uh, we, we rejoice. We have an amazing worship team and uh, sound and vision and worship leaders and musicians and singers. And we are blessed and we rejoice and we thank God for that. We always, you often hear me, I'll be the first person to say thank you, thank you. But what is good worship? Good worship isn't just great musicianship, which we do have, and we are blessed with that. And great people, which we do have, and we're blessed with that. But good worship is open heart. And you can tell when you're in a church where the people's hearts start to open. It says in the Old Testament, swing wide the gates and let the king of glory in. The gates of the temple there, but now we are the living temples. So it's swinging wide our hearts. And so you, you, can, you know. Um, I never forget um, at my, um, at some years, a few years ago at West Park Leisure Centre, when I was um, being inducted as uh, the pastor here at Oasis Christian Centre, I stood beside the mayoress the Lady Mayor, and I stood beside him. We were worshipping. I, I worship as I just normally do. I mean, the Lady Mayor was in all the regalia and all her stuff, and the lovely lady, and, I, and she was standing there, and the place was packed, and we were worshipping, and I was worshipping with my arms in the air, and all, you know, and whatever. And at the end of it, she said to me, she said, don't, I hope you don't mind me saying this to you, do you? I said, well, I'll say what you like. No, it's no problem at all. She said, I felt an energy coming off you. As if, now, what she meant was, there was what she meant was, there's something about the presence. She, and I said, well, the presence of God is here and our hearts are open because God is, we're swinging wide our hearts. And there's something about the atmosphere of our hearts. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments this morning. When we open our hearts to God, uh, the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, will be released in great measure and comes to reign within us. So it's, that's what we're going to look at. Um, so uh, Luke, a house of prayer and a people of worship. Luke 19, verses 28 to 48 is what we're going to read together. Okay, so after, after Jesus had said this in Luke 19, verse 28, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached to Bethpage in Beth, Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, it's a young donkey, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, the throng of thousands And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And we were being led this way this morning, the same way in worship with open hearts this morning as Tim was leading us in the worship team and declaring how great and how good God is. This is what they were doing on that very day. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment. He's speaking of AD 70. He's talking about the day of AD 70 when Jerusalem, 40 years, something like 40 years later, would be raised to the ground. <laughs> they didn't realize this. You, a day will come when they will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus was arriving. God is coming. Your Messiah is here. You don't realize that this is the peace that he brings. You think that this is going to bring in an earthly kingdom. But in, in something like 40 years time, 35, 36 years time, the Romans would destroy Jerusalem, hold an embankment around it and level it to the ground in the temple. And the people would be scattered until the bringing back at the latter time. Okay, so we're going to. Uh, um, so when Jesus entered the temple courts, verse 45, I'm getting carried away, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer. Quoting from the Old Testament there uh, in Isaiah. He said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it because the people hung on his words. So what we see here is a little bit of a background to this story. Is a, a scene is set and Jesus comes in riding a donkey. Uh, in the east, uh, you know, to you and I, you know, you go to the donkey sanctuary, you sponsor a donkey, you know, um, you know, five pounds a month, whatever it is, you look after a donkey. I've, I read in the paper the other day, was it RSPCA were called out to somebody's house and they found, they said that there's a donkey in the garden and, and it's been neglected. When the RSPCA got to the house and they knocked on, the, on this house, they found it was a life-size plastic donkey in the middle of someone's garden. But, you know, for us, a donkey, it's, it's, it was in the paper the other day. It's an interesting story. Whether it was a joke or someone actually was concerned. But, you know, for you and I, donkey is a, a, a humble beast. But in the East, the donkey was considered a, a beast of burden, was highly acclaimed and appraised. But in the prophetic um, uh, enactment that Jesus uh, fulfilled prophecy here, that all, they always looked to, the, the Jews were always looking towards a saviour, a messiah, a, a ruler who would bring in the new kingdom. And he comes riding, and they'd be riding in on, on, a, on, a, on a, a donkey, a colt. Uh, warriors rode on, on a, a charger, a horse. And in Revelation, we see Jesus on a, a charger bringing in the, the final end. But um, there's this idea here that, that Jesus is coming in and he's claiming He's fulfilling that he's Messiah. He's the anointed one. And the Jews, therefore, are now beginning to look at this. And the people are looking at this and thinking, all the main miracles. He's even greater than Elijah. These amazing things have happened. Could this now be that Roman rule is going to be overthrown? And so they're, they're, they're acclaiming him and they're speaking messianic songs over him. And they're singing as if they're singing unto the, the anointed one, the one who is God. And so he comes and... Um, I don't know why it's done that. It shouldn't do that. 
Never mind, I'll go back to that again. And so he, so he comes and uh, he, he, he's riding in, uh, fulfilling all of messianic prophecy. And uh, so we see him coming, riding in, and uh, the people believing now that this is the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, um, the Messiah. And so there's a great throng of worship. We read there that they raise their voices. And then Jesus comes to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, receiving all the adoration and the adulation of the people, when he gets to the temple, he finds that something raises up in his heart and, and a, a holy indignation and a righteous anger raises up in his heart. And so he clears the temple of all the money changers. It, it was okay. To, they had to change the money of the day into a certain temple tax. It had to be a certain type of coin. And so whether, whatever money you had, whether it was you know, Roman money or Syrian money or whatever the money of the day, you had to change it to the temple tax. So the money changers were permitted to be in the temple. But what Jesus found was loads of them. Not only were they changing the temple tax, but they were making money. This is the gist of the story. And there were so many of them that they're in the court of the Gentiles, and, the, and people like you and me wouldn't even be able to get in. They, they pushed people out of the way, and they were making money, more money. They were allowed to be there, but it, it, had gone, it had gone drastically wrong. And Jesus then says, you've made this a den of thieves. You're keeping people who want to come and worship God, and you're making money out of them, and you're keeping them out of the way. My father said, this is a house of prayer for the nations. The temple was always to be a house of prayer for the nations. So there are two things that I want to look at this morning in this story. I look at it a bit differently, really rather than just the story that it is, but two principles for life. And they're sort of hidden in the, the, um, uh, the, the title there, House of Prayer and a People of Worship. Two things that we see in this story, uh, when the, Jesus receives the adulation of the people is this, the loud worship that Jesus receives. And then later on, when he goes into the temple, where he restores this, this, the real sense of what the temple's all about, the place of prayer. And there's two principles that we can lay hold of as believers for us today from this story. I'm going to look at it from a slightly different angle. Is this, the principle and place of worship and the principle and place of prayer in the life of the church, in the life of a believer's life. So I just want to look at those two things. And um, first of all, worship then. We read there, they began joyfully to praise God with loud voices. This is the loud hallel, the hallelujah. We sang hallelujah or the hallelujah, praise ye Jehovah. Or, um, the hallel was in a mighty declaration that God is good, God is king, God is Lord. That's the way we've been led this morning. God is good, God is king, Jesus is Lord. How good is God? It's a declaration of who he is. We might not feel like that, but God is intrinsically good and love, and that's who he is. It's the declaration. And so on that day, there was this real joyful sense of praise and loud voice. You notice the translations there say, with loud voice. There was a real sense of declaration, of joy, of abandonment, that this is the age, this is God, this is the Messiah, how good he is. And then we read that the teachers say, you know, Jesus, rebuke these people. Perhaps it says the Pharisees. Uh, now the rebuke perhaps comes because the Pharisees were getting maybe scared that the people were claiming this is now Messiah, and this would arouse the Romans. Some people think maybe that's the case. And so the Pharisees say, look, you know, keep the people quiet. If the Romans get here of this, they'll, 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 there'll be an insurrection. There'll be a revolution. There was a revolution some years later, and it led the, the, the nation into destruction at AD 70. 
Um, and so the Pharisees saying, calm it down, quiet it down. Perhaps also the Pharisees was now seeing everybody following Jesus and nobody. They were like Billy Nomates at that point. Can you imagine them standing there and everybody worshipping and following the Lord Jesus Christ? There's something of the religious, the religion that rose up in them. And um, religion kills and um, rebellion kills. And, uh, you know... Uh, you, 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 before, we, before we say, oh, look at those religious Pharisees, you know, you can have Pentecostal religion. You can have Baptist religion. You can have Anglican religion. You can have, um, you can have revivalist religion. And it can kill. And on this day, Jesus was receiving heart, lover, and praise. And so Jesus says, even the stones will cry out. Interestingly, Jesus says this, even the stones will cry out to God. Do you know, creation is made to relate to God. We, in Romans, we see that all creation groans, awaiting in the book of Romans. The, the fact of all creation, people don't have an excuse. In all of creation, the, the, the glory of God is displayed in, in the wonder of the beauty of this planet, of the earth, of the universe. Everything in creation is made by God for God to be loved and to love God. And so Jesus says, even the stones will cry out. And so what he's basically saying is creation is geared up, made. It's like a, the, the violinist um, b- b- makes the beautiful violin and gets the, an amazing tune out of the violin because he's designed to, human beings, the universe, creation is designed by God, for God, to be with God, to be loved with God and by God. And so Jesus says, can't do anything else. Creation, even if you try to stifle worship, creation is made. We are to, what Jesus is saying there is we, everything is made to worship God. Bottom line, God is love. And it's love that motivates his heart to create. God is love. It's, and, it's, and to share and to be loved. And that's what worship is. Worship is love. Is the love of God in the hearts of his creation, you and me, and us loving him. Bottom line, that's what worship is. And so I understand worship to be, uh, for me, worship is this idea of, um, for me, worship is this idea of our abandoned heart placed in the hands of a loving father. Love. Worship is our abandoned hearts placed in the hands of the loving Father. The creation worships God. We're made to worship God. And worship is, for you and me, my abandoned heart, the human heart, placed in the hands of a loving Father. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, Joel the prophet says of the latter days, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. Turn to the Lord your God. Jesus comes to reign within our hearts. The prophets always prophesied that the the Ten Commandments, the commands of God will be written on hearts of flesh. In the New Testament, we read the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Jesus comes and reigns within our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. And so there's this idea of not the external. So our worship is not, it can't be stopped. It can't be contained. It can only be, and it must come from out of our hearts. We were made, designed, and created to love and be loved by God and to love God. And so God doesn't look at the outside. So many arguments about church. It's normally arguments in church, not so much outside of church, on music and the church organ or the piano or the drums or the non-drums. There's a part of Scotland where they don't have any music at all. 
but they have a pitch, not a pitchfork, a tuning fork, sorry, and pitchfork. It's a tuning fork. That's it. And you ding it, you dum, it goes, and that's what starts the music off. And beautifully, I might say, and beautifully, the congregation start up with the song without any music. You know, but it's not all of that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about all of this and all of that, but the heart. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, you can't stop it. It's the, even the, everything creation. It's the rhythm. It's called about the rhythm of life. It's the heartbeat of God. Forgiveness and we're not one with our creator. And so worship is about the heart. A man called Lamar Boschman said this, when I worship, I'd rather my heart be without words than my words be without heart. How about that? What an amazing statement about the heart. He says, I, when I worship, I would rather my heart be without words than my words without heart. You know when people say, have a heart? Have a heart for God? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and then your neighbor as yourself. So it's a love for God, a heart given to God. And so... It's this idea of giving our hearts. So worship then, a number of things happen in worship. You'll see them, he says, you should see them on the screen. A couple of things then. So first of all, when we worship, when we worship together, a number of things happen when we worship together. Three things that I just want to look at very briefly. Number one, when we worship, we draw closer to God. When our hearts are open, when our hearts are opened, we draw closer to God. That's the first thing that happens. We are drawn closer to God. When we worship, we're drawn closer to God. Worship is the open heart. We're designed, we're made to worship, to love and be loved. When we worship, the first thing that happens is that we draw closer to God. Jack, Pastor Jack Hayford, great American leader, said this, Worship changes the worshipper into the image of the one worshipped. Think of that for a moment. Worship changes the worshipper into the image of the one worshipped. Sometimes it says if you're, pet, if you're a pet lover, the, uh, the owner sometimes ends up looking, or the pet, or the, or the dog looks like the pet, or the owner, I don't know. I don't know which one you want to believe. I don't know which one I do believe. But uh, um, <laughs> who you worship, who or what we worship has a heart. Sometimes people put it, I worship the ground you walk on. If your husband or your wife's. Um, someone, um, you know, uh, worships. Well, it, used to, it used to be called Pop Idol, didn't it? And they changed, it, changed its name. But this idea of worshipping my, my idol. Whoever you, whatever you worship, we worship many things. It, whatever has your heart, who or whoever or whatever has your heart, that's what you worship. That's what you worship. You don't have to be singing songs to worship because worship is about the heart. And so when we worship, when we worship God, we draw closer to God. When our worship is focused towards God, we draw closer to God because he is the one we're concentrating on. He is the one that we're opening our hearts to. Jesus is the one that we're opening our hearts to. The Holy Spirit is the one that we're opening our hearts to. And when we worship him, and when we worship him, we draw closer to him. Says, uh, is it James that says, if you draw close to God, he will draw nearer to you? Jack Hayford, worship changes the worshiper to the image of the one worship. A man called A.W. Tozer said this, nearness is likeness. I had never forgotten that. Watch who you spend time with, where you hang out, where you're around, who has or what has your heart, because nearness is likeness. Nearness is likeness. 
And so when I worship, I draw closer to God and I draw closer to Jesus. I draw closer to the person of the Holy Spirit. And nearness is likeness. I become, I'm changed from glory to glory. It's not magic. It's the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in our hearts. Jesus being released and growing in us. That's the first thing. So when we draw closer to God, uh, when we worship, we draw closer to God. Second thing is this. Uh, When we worship, God captures our attention and captivates our hearts. Two things happen. when First of all, we draw closer to God. Second thing is this. When you worship God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God captures our attention and captivates our heart. This is what I find from my own life, and I'm sure that you'll find it too. And we see this throughout church history, and we see it in the pages of the Bible, that God captures our attention and captivates our hearts. Captures our attention. When we worship God, he captures our attention. We focus on him. We see him. There's something about... God capturing my attention. He becomes my view, my vision, the the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. God takes our attention. Again and again, Jesus would say to people, if they could see him, look at me. What do you need? The disciples on on going to the gate, beautiful, said to the man, look at us. What do you need? Attention. Uh, There's something about gazing, Uh, you know, Cause your, cause your eyes to look upon Jesus. Look into his wonderful face. The, the, the writers of the hymns again and again of his understanding of when we worship, he has a heart. We draw closer to him and he captures our attention. You know, our perspective changes. What a great God we have. Well, isn't it good this morning being able to sing to and about and love a great God? And something happens because when we begin to see that great God, when we give him our attention, he captures our attention, perspective begins to change. It might not change straight away. If you feel downcast, you know, lonely, oppressed, depressed, if you don't think it's going to work out, We have a great God and he captures, he wants to capture my attention. There are many things that capture people's attentions today. It could be your brand new car. It could be your football team. And it's not not wrong to have your attention in past times. That's not wrong. But if that is the thing that captures your life, be careful because it will captivate you. It will hold you. It will hold you. And we want to be held by the living God. Captures our attention and captivates our heart. Um, The heart, the mind, the soul, the spirit. The heart is that love. It's this idea of of, of our attention is our view, our vision. Um, Our heart is this idea of vigor, um, spiritual strength. The heart, it it speaks of where Jesus captivates our hearts, gives us strength. Are you feeling weak? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling like giving up at times? Um, sometimes we don't realize as Christians that we've settled for something that is not, is that it's a norm of this world, but there is a level, there is a sense of God's love and presence that he wants us. There's spiritual vigor, vitality, a hope, a spiritual strength. Whatever captures your heart will control your life and determine your destiny. I'll say this to you. It's, whatever, you can choose to, Believe what you like, but I have found my own life. Whatever captures my heart or your heart will control your life and determine your destiny. You've only got to speak to someone that has been gripped by alcohol, and they will tell you that. So we draw nearer to him. We've captured our attention. He captivates our heart. It's great to worship. That's why Jesus said, you can't help but worship. And finally, the third thing is this. 
Worship puts Jesus at the center of life. Worship puts God at the center of life. Worship puts the Holy Spirit at the center, the very center of our lives. Great song, Jesus at the center of it all. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. It's all about... That's a, that, that is an amazing song. I love singing that song. I can sing that all day, every day. Jesus at the center. When we worship, when we're captured, when we're captivated, when he has our attention, when God gets our heart, something happens where Jesus Christ becomes the very center of our lives. We become God-centered, Jesus-centered people, not me-centered Isn't it interesting, in the Lord's Prayer, where the disciples say, teach us how to pray, Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it's, give us this day our daily bread. Initially, in the Lord's Prayer, it's all Father, God. Do you notice that initially? Everything's God-centered. Everything in life is centered on God. Not on me. How often when we pray, when we, but we, we are, I'm a human being. Yep, I am, definitely. And we are of this earth. But we're not of this earth. We're of the Spirit. And Jesus wants us to focus on God. Father wants us to focus on the Son, the Holy Spirit, to be God-centered rather than be man-centered, Christ-centered. We're very human-centered in our lives. Everything, all all of the laws of our land are becoming more and more humanistic, human-centered. And we don't realize that in church life, that is increasingly intoxicating spirit that touches our hearts and lives more and more with good Christians, great people, unless we're true worshippers of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless Jesus has our hearts. If he has our hearts, then we, how beautiful it is, we're drawn closer to God. He captures our attention, captivates our hearts, and Jesus becomes the center of it all. And it's then that he then says, and then pray, give us this day our daily bread. All these amazing things that God will do in our hearts and lives. But Jesus has to be at the center of it all. So, worship, incredibly um, important for us this morning. And um, place of prayer. So we're called to be a people of worship, a house of, a house of prayer and, and a people of worship. So uh, this idea of worship being our heart and giving our hearts afresh to God. Uh, secondly, the thing that Jesus did, and so Jesus received that, loves that, and receives our worship today and loves to be loved and loves to love you and I. And that's what worship is. Uh, secondly, the second principle is this, um, house of prayer for the nations. Jesus goes and clears then the temple. So he receives the worship of the people and clears the temple. You know, um, on that day, what, what Jesus did was he cleared the temple of the money changers. As I said, the money changers were okay. They were allowed to be there because they're changing the temple tax. But they were making more money out of the people. They were making a profit, big profits. They were, in other words, fleecing people. But also they were crowding out the area, the outer court, which was the Gentile court. And the Gentiles, like you and I, were flogging from, flocking, flocking from around the world to come to worship God. And so they were being pushed out and also money being taken off them that was being extortion. And so Jesus said, he reminded them that this is the Father's house is a house of prayer for all the nations. And he was restoring what was life really all about. What is the spirit of heart and life? And particularly this area of the spirit of prayer. You know, material things kill the spirit They did then, and it does now. The material, it kills the spirit. It did then, 
they were making money, more interested in making money, and it still does now. Do you know what? It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to make money. It's not, but it's wrong to live for money. It's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong to live for things. It's not wrong to have things in life. Absolutely not wrong. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. God knows our needs. But to live for them and have our hearts focused on them. And um, it intoxicates uh, the spirit of the age in which we live. Living for ourselves, me at the center, and for things. The bottom line. And on that day, Jesus wanted to restore the spirit and life to the heart of the people of God. It intoxicates and crowds out God in our lives. Do you know that Europe is now referred to as the dark continent in the sense of it's, it's not got light. It doesn't have so much spiritual light. Europe, it's not called, it's the so-called third world. The third world is the first world spiritually. We now live in the third world spiritually in many ways. It's interesting, it's in the material world. The more material that we become, the more here and now, living for me now, It pushes. It doesn't give room. The Gentile court, there was no room. And it seems to push out the things of the Spirit. And it will do that in your life, and it will do that in my life. Even though I call myself a Christian, we settle for something that isn't the very best. And so Jesus was putting this at the very center and back at the heart of things again. The Spirit gives life, and and prayer is our breath. And it's here that our relationship with God stands and falls. The place of prayer. It's here that our relationship with God stands and falls. You see, God is a God love. God is love. And uh, you love someone in any relationship where there's a love relationship, there's going to be some sort of communication. I suppose that if a husband and wife never sat down and talked, I don't know, maybe, maybe looking at one or two of you might think that might be a nice thing every now and again. But if husband and wife never talked, never, I'm saying never talked, or invariably never talk much, or it would be, pass me the salt, dear. Or is my dinner ready? Or um, have you got some money for me? You know, I need something. I'm, I'm being stupid, I know. I'm being silly. I'm being over the top about it. But in relationship, it's about love and life and conversation, listening and sharing and loving. And so too with our faith, with Jesus Christ, Father God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit, it's speaking, listening, love, conversation. That's the place of prayer. Jesus said, my Father's house is a house of prayer for all the nations. And uh, when we pray, we hear and we speak. It's interesting, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 13, we read at the end of each word to the church that Jesus says this, let the person who has ears listen to what the Spirit says. I love what the message says. It says, let the person listen to the wind words of the Spirit. Hearing the heart of God. So when we pray, we hear and we speak. It's in Revelation 3.13. Let them have ears to hear. A man called Larry Lee, many, many years ago, wrote a book called The Hearing Ear. It's about prayer. Speaking to God and hearing God for our lives. And Jesus is restoring this heartbeat because it is the heartbeat in any relationship. Interestingly, so we hear the Father speak to us. We hear him through his word, obviously, but as we pray, as we talk to God, we hear God, and then we obey God. When we hear him, we obey him. That's our life of prayer and worship. 
and we can speak to him and speak with him and converse with him. South Korea is a phenomenal, I've never been there, but uh, I look at it and read about it. And the church in South Korea, they estimate something like nearly 15% of South Korea is now Christian. And in the Far East, that's only maybe one, 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 one or 2% in Japan. And Japan and South Korea have a similar mindset. Uh, their religious background is quite similar. Different people group. But it's really interesting. And South Korea has nearly 15% of the population are now born, born again. Not just churchgoers. It's an amazing thing is happening and has been happening for the last 50, 60, 70 years in South Korea. South Korea has a number of the biggest churches in the world. Um, there's a church in South Korea that has 850,000 regular members and attenders. That's not a denomination, that's a church. Interestingly, South Korea has many, many Christians in Seoul, the capital, at sort of 6 o'clock in the morning. If you look on YouTube, you'll find that when people are visiting, the roads are jammed with people going to church and getting ready to pray. There's gridlock. It's like going through Long Eaton every day of the week. There's always gridlock for some reason. There's gridlock around here, isn't there? When I first moved into the area, I thought, I can't believe it. It's like that in Seoul, South Korea, because people are alive. Asked, uh, and in answer to the question, um, a man called Stuart Robinson wrote a book called Praying the Price, and he was asking questions of the South Korean church. And South Korea has seen great moves of the Holy Spirit, and many, many people becoming Christians, and still is, and still is all these years later. And it's quite a materialistic country and, 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 and very advanced. Samsung and LG and all that sort of stuff. Is it Deu cars and all that, you know, and, and everything else. So it, technologically advanced nation and, and you, you would think would be like Western Europe. And so asked the answer, in answer to the question, why is the Korean church flourishing so magnificently for the last 50, 60, 70 years? And a number of pastors, one pastor said this to Stuart Robinson in his book, Pray on the Price. He says this, we learned, this is what this one pastor said, we, are, we have learned to have no hope in ourselves but only in God. And we've learned to pray. Did you hear that a minute? We have learned to have no hope in ourselves, only in God, and we have learned to pray. There's an echo here somewhere. There's an echo here somewhere. There's an echo here somewhere. Jesus saying 2,000 years ago, my house will be a house of prayer. International House of Prayer, United States, IHOP, House of Prayer. There's this echo the echo of God's love is calling the nations, is stirring the church, wants to woo the church back to speak and hear Father. Do you need a revival? I had lots of God. We need a revival. If you want a revival, open your heart. Open your heart to the heartbeat of God. He goes on to say, we have been a suffering church and therefore a praying church. Isn't it interesting that this is a church that prays? The South Korean church is seeing great things happen and it's just so happens, oh, what we do? It just so happens that they pray at the same time as well. I think there's something in that. I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's this idea of my house will be a house of prayer. You know, today we are the house of God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says uh, to the Corinthian church, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? 
Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? We're the house. We're the temple of God. And so this, we, are the people, we are the place of prayer. You and I, we are now the house of God. When people speak about the house, it's us. It's you and it's me. Leonard Ravenhill, with this I close, but Leonard Ravenhill wrote a very challenging book some years ago. And uh, he was speaking about the lack of a sense of prayerfulness with the hearts of Christians, not, not people outside. And this is what he said. In the matter of the New Testament, spirit-inspired, hell-shaking, world-breaking prayer never has, this is supposed to play on words, never has so much been left by so many to so few. For this kind of prayer, there is no substitute. We do it or die. It's interesting that the European Western Church is a church darkened. It seems to be in the third world church, which is now the first world spiritually, is a church praying. And they're the ones that seem to have a sense of hope and life. Jesus said this, When two or three gather together in my name, there am I with you, amongst you, and in you. There's something about gathering together. There's something about being together in prayer. It doesn't matter whether it's two or two thousand, three or three thousand. It's the togetherness in prayer. He's speaking there about this idea of being united in heart, in worship and love for Jesus, open hearts, and speaking and hearing. That's what he's speaking about. Isn't it interesting that this is the same today as it ever was? And the call, the clarion call to the church, God's people, is to worship. And to pray. You know, as a church, one of the things that we encourage and we have been encouraging, and I've seen some really interesting, dramatic things, is on the first of the month, the first, we might, you might know this, you might not know this, but on the first Sunday of the month, we have a, a, a we've now brought the, the night of worship and the night of prayer. We're going to be doing that together and prayer and worship together. The first Sunday of the month, on a Sunday night, we have as a worship and prayer evening. In our life groups, we, I encourage you to, to speak to me and speak to us and, and join a, a group. We're looking to open up more groups, small groups throughout the week so we're not just gathered on a Sunday but we, so that we can come together and encourage but we can also come and pray and to personally to be a person that reflects and opens up our heart and our hearts on God. Um, some amazing things have been happening in, in uh, some of the things that we're doing as the life of a church. And we're seeing people becoming Christians and getting baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm speaking to people saying things like, it just seems to be happening. God just seems to be doing it. And that's exactly what God does. It says that Paul can plant, Apollos can water, and then the, he, God gives the increase. And it's as we pray, we hear and we speak and hear the heartbeat of God. And I, 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 also, I have something that I feel God's sharing with me about the, the place of worship. And I'm going to share that more in, in the days ahead about what he's saying to this church, our church, in prayer and worship, of being a house of prayer, of being a place of prayer, a people of prayer, a people gathered, and a people not just gathered in a big meeting, but also individually and also in, in, in other groups. And what that will do, what that will achieve in your heart, my heart, and in the atmosphere around us and amongst us. I suppose the key at the end of the day is, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Bless you, folks. God calls us to open our hearts, give him our all. My life in your hands, Jesus. God calls us to hear him and speak to him. That's prayer. So the key now is, 
I'm sure that you are. I, I, I know for a fact that many are. So this isn't a talking down of what you should be doing. If I'm really honest, I am more open today than I've ever been for the Holy Spirit to have his way. Too many arguments happen in church where people say, what about God do this, do that? We let God have his way. Let's let God have his way. Come and be amazed. Join with us. Join us on the first of the month when we gather together in worship and prayer. Join in a small group, a life group. Get with others. Encourage, worship, pray. Get yourself, worship, pray. Get your own Bible reading, worship. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to the one who saves us, loves us, dies for us, and raises us. His name is Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we love you, we honor you. How great, how good, how amazing you truly are. Worship is our abandoned heart in the hands of a loving Father, almighty God. And so, Lord Jesus, be at the center of it all. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be at the very center. Forgive me, Lord, for my own thoughts and ideas, my own presumption. But Lord Jesus, come and have your way. I pray in my life as a leader, Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Your way is irresistible because your love is an irresistible love. It's relentless. It's a relentless love. Even the stones will cry out if no one else will. The stones cry out. Oh, Lord Jesus, creation is groaning, calling you. Oh, Lord, how good you are. Oh, we open our hearts this morning. We love you. We honor you. We give our lives to you. We pray that your house, our lives, collective and individual, be a place of prayer. We want to hear you, speak to you, love you, honor you. It be as simple and as easy as that. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that you are no respecter of persons. You don't move in one part of the world and not another. You love, you want none to perish. Your word says that God wants none to perish, but all to come and have a knowledge of the living God. Your desire is that all should come to know you. It's just the hearts of men and women that hinder them. And so we say, Lord, take our hearts. We give our hearts. Come and take your church. Lord Jesus, honor your word by taking your church. Take us, capture us, captivate us. I pray, Father God, that you will do something that is miraculous. We seek signs and a miracle, and the miracle is a captured, captivated heart. Oh God, would you come and capture us? Captivate our hearts, stir and release, break the hold of that which intoxicates whatever it is over me and over us and over our nation and over our age. Restore your word, restore our nation. We were once people of the book. We pray for a restoration. Revival comes often in the church and we pray, Lord God, that your love will overwhelm, melt and restore and refresh our hearts for you indeed are good. God is good. God is good. We've been led that way this morning and we confess that over our hearts and lives and we love you and honor you. So come and make us a house of prayer and we open up our hearts to worship, adore and love you and be captured and captivated by you in your mighty name we pray. Amen.